Good morning. How's things? <laughs> Thank you for responding to that. <laughs> um, okay, to get you into the headspace for where we're going to go this morning, I want to, similar to what Emily just said, maybe this is a bit of a time travel back to when you were in high school or middle school, or maybe this is exactly where you are right at this very moment in middle school or high school. When I was in high school, we called them cliques. Is that still the way that they're talked about in middle and high school? Like groups, your friend group? Not really. I've heard that I'm outdated in pretty much everything, so this would just make sense to follow suit in another way that I'm going to say things from the 90s that made sense and don't anymore. But go with me. What, part, what group or what clique, if you will, were you a part of in high school? Or if you're not there, middle school maybe, what is your friend group? What defines your friend group right now? Would you say you're a jock, a gamer, nerd, emo, Rotsy, band, mean girl, mathlete? Where, what group of people did you define yourself by surrounding yourself with. So early high school, here's moment of self-disclosure. Usually get about one of these per sermon. Uh, early high school, I was in whichever group you would call it that still watched WWE wrestling. <laughs> Some might call that nerdy. I, on the other hand, call it an alternative athletic event. Kind of like the X Games but with almost no clothes. Uh, so that was early high school. Later on in high school, I sort of fell into this group uh, that were sort of these lovably cool weirdos that we would make weird noises when we walked down the hall. We were kind of the class clowns, partying on the weekends, tons of fun. That was our whole thing was fun. Whatever is fun, that's what we're going to do. And we surrounded ourselves with then other people who were also defined by what? Fun. So then when our group would come across one of these other said groups, say the mathletes, I would find myself thinking, why are you so serious about math or about school or about being a mean girl? Why are you so serious about that thing? Why can't you just lighten up, have a little fun, and be a little bit more like me? How did your group handle being around people that weren't like you? How do you even today handle being around people that aren't like you, that you may have zero in common with? Maybe we avoid, judge, look down, get a little self-righteous going, maybe an eye roll. New York Times columnist David Brooks and many others have called this propensity to surround ourselves with people who are like ourselves and to distance ourselves from those that are not like ourselves with this term tribalism. It's probably not the first time you've heard this word recently. Tribalism, David Brooks says, is the dark twin of community. Community is connection based on mutual affection. Tribalism is community based on mutual hate. 
And so we can apply this from anywhere, from political parties, racial groups, the cliques that I just talked about, or even just a family member or a friend that you're just having trouble connecting with. But there's something inside of us, like the 1984 classic, We Are the World, sings, We are the world, we are the children. You got it. There's something about that that's inside of us. We know that we're supposed to like live in unity, that we find that in our, we find that in our politics. We find that in our cultural values. We find that in even the values of this very school that you find yourself in this morning. We value diversity, inclusion. Like there's something inside of us that knows that it's better to be together than apart. But tribalism is just so easy. And being around people that are unlike me is so hard. This vision, though, for unity, that again strikes very much at a cultural value that we find ourselves in today, yet the difficulty that we find in our culture is the same difficulty that we find in our own heart, is that it is so easy to talk about and so hard to do. The Bible also has this same vision of unity. And so we find from first page to literal last page, this vision of every tribe, every tongue, every people group dwelling together in the shalom, the peace of God. How do we get there? How do we help our culture that is asking all of these same questions get there? Where we're at in Revelation today, hopefully, uh, is going to give us at least one clue for how we go about moving towards unity. So, Suze, can you come on up? Suzanne Williams, everybody. Revelation 7, here we go. Revelation chapter 7, verse 4, and then also 9 through 17. And I heard the number of the sealed... 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, 
and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wonderful. Thank you. So the one key to unity, according to this passage, I'm sure there's more that would then sort of filter out of this key, but one, for the sake of time, and two, because this is what this particular scripture is talking about, we're going to narrow it down to just one, and that one key to unity is worship. Because worship is the very thing that ruined our unity to begin with, and worship will be the thing that reunifies all peoples of the earth. Of the earth. So let's jump in. Uh, those are going to be our two points. Worship ruined unity and worship restores unity. So worship ruined unity. If you remember, we are sort of circling around these seven themes that we find in Revelation. It's kind of the way that we're organizing this series. And so we began uh, talking about the theme of perspective. What is a perspective that Jesus has on his work on the earth? Then we moved into the presence of Jesus. All the scriptures in Revelation that talk about Jesus being present and near to his people. Then we moved on to the paradoxes. There are some paradoxes that find themselves uh, in Revelation, and the primary one we focus on is how can God be as powerful as a lion and as humble as a lamb, and the cross being the meeting point of those two realities. And now we find ourselves in the theme of praise because a consistent theme almost from the get-go in chapter 1 and all the way through to the very end of the book, a consistent theme is praise erupting. Anytime Jesus reveals something about himself, there is this eruption of praise. And it's everywhere from bowls to trumpets to seals and all this imagery. But every time we see a little bit more, Jesus gives us a little bit more about who he is, the response of everyone around, John included, is worship. Now, if you've been with us for a long time or if you haven't and this is your first Sunday and you're like, we're talking about what now? Reva, what? I've never wanted to set foot in that book. I may have been a Christian my whole life and have never touched this thing because it's so scary. Here's my goal for you by the end of this series. I would love for everyone in this room to be able to confidently read through the book of Revelation and find meaningful application for your life. So some of what we're going to do is try to give some strategies as we're reading through this for how you could then do this on your own. One strategy we already talked about is that there are almost 250 references. That's two and a half times more Old Testament references in the book of Revelation than in any other New Testament book. So that's significant. Anytime you're stuck with some of this imagery, I bet you it has some Old Testament allusion, some Old Testament reference that if you can figure out where that place is, it will make sense out of how it's being used here uh, by John through the Spirit's power. The one that I want to talk about for a minute here is what's happening and why I included in our reading verse 4. Because repetition in all of literature, and for sure scripture as well, is another one of these ways that authors can get you to focus your attention. And so there is a repeated theme that's happening here of hearing and then seeing. And so it happens first in Revelation 1. John hears a trumpet and then he turns and he sees a beautiful, glorious Lord Jesus sitting on the throne. 
Then in Revelation 5, he hears of this lion of the tribe of Judah and he turns and he sees a lamb as though it had been slain. And so anytime this happens, there seems to be this pattern that the author is calling you to notice. This pattern of movement from lesser to greater, from partial to actual. And so here we see it again, verse 4. I heard 144,000 from every tribe of Israel. And then verse 9, I looked, and when I saw, I saw a multitude from every tribe, nation, language, people, that I couldn't even count. From lesser to greater is the point here. But what's going on? What's up with these tribes that he sees of Israel? And then how does that relate to this great multitude that he sees? Let's dial back for a minute and think about all the way back to the beginning. Uh, All of mankind, we know, was made to live in unity. Adam and Eve, created by God under his authority, were made to worship him and him alone. And they were meant to create generations of children who would also grow up to worship him and him alone, living in perfect peace, one with another, and perfect peace with their God. But we know that this did not take long. It just took a couple of chapters into this whole story before uh, Adam and Eve began to break that relationship by worshiping themselves instead of their creator. Worshiping their thinking, their opinions, their desires over and above what Yahweh would have for them. And it then broke that relationship of trust between God and man. It broke that relationship of trust between humanity. And ever since then, we've been born into that same world. That's the world that you and I, unbeknownst to ourselves, are plummeted into at birth. And that we continue to try to find our way and scrape our way through. But God didn't give up on this vision. All the way back, 12 chapters into the story in Genesis 12, God starts again with one man. And he calls that one man Abraham. And he says, I want you to leave everything because I'm about to bless your socks off. And through blessing you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. I'm going to make a great nation of you, even though you're old and you don't even think it's possible for you to have kids anymore. And miraculously, God works in this man's life, grows up these 12 tribes of Israel. This is the story and the scope of the entire Old Testament is the rise and fall and rise and fall and rise and fall of these 12 tribes. Because we know that those 12 tribes, if you read through the Old Testament, they were an absolute wreck. They hated each other. They worshiped other gods most of the time, more than they worshiped Yahweh. It was ugly. And that's the same problem that we find in our culture and our lives and our own hearts and relationships today. Because their self-worship broke unity. And our self-worship also breaks unity. Because mankind was made to have one fundamental thing in common. And that fundamental thing, then everything else fit under and subservient to that one thing. Like Daryl said last week, we were all made to give our ultimate allegiance, love, hope, joy, and satisfaction to God and God alone. 
like the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one says, we were made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is who we are. Like I've literally had friends in church who we have said, we literally have nothing in common. But because we have Jesus in common, we can have everything in common. And that foundational belief then can be the one thing that draws people together that isn't dependent on habits, that isn't dependent on what you like or don't like, that isn't dependent on personality trait, that isn't dependent on growing up in a similar or dissimilar circumstance, that isn't dependent on your skin color or the language that you speak. But when that commonality is lost, everyone suddenly becomes a competitor. Everyone suddenly becomes a worshiper of themselves instead of God, and therefore you become a a resource that must be fulfilled. And to the degree that you help me love me, we can be friends. Because as Dave Burden has said, if you've been here long enough, me loves me, some me. Me loves me, some me. But when you start infringing on my freedoms, when our friendship, when our relationship, when this parent-child relationship or this husband and wife relationship starts challenging my beliefs, my values, and my rights, I'm out. Or the gloves come up. Because if I'm ultimately worshiping myself, then I am the most important thing in the room. And I am the most important thing in any relationship that I am in. And so you have two mutually exclusive people trying to have relationship with one another or a church trying to have relationship like that or a city trying to have relationship like that. No kidding. Things would be broken. Okay. Self-worship then ruins unity, but John sees this perfect vision of what it was made to be. 144,000 is essentially the way of saying it is perfect as perfect can be. There were 12 original tribes. Those 12 tribes, let's just multiply them by another 12 to say, yes, this is exactly what it should be. And let's multiply that by 1,000, which in Revelation is this number of like hugeness. So it's saying this is exactly as the Old Testament was supposed to go. The vision of what humanity should have been according to the Old Testament. And then he looks. And he has this perfect vision of every tribe, nation, people, and language. Because worship ruined unity and worship restores it. Verse 13, uh, just, this image is just funny. Because when John is witnessing all of these things, then there's this elder who kind of pops his head into the scene and it's like, hey, hey, John, who are all those guys? And John's response is, are you, for, you know, like you're, you've seen this whole thing go down. You know what's happening. He's like, oh, yeah, that's right. I remember what it is that all these guys have in common. Like we know when we're on the outside of a great community and we see it, we know that's a great community and I want to be a part of it. Like, do you remember Full House? How... How did Uncle Jesse and Uncle Joey and Danny Tanner and all those kids, they all got along. They were all friends. They were all family. They all lived in the same house. They were all super different. And yet they somehow figured out how to get along. We looked at that as children or maybe as my daughter right now as she is watching that for the first time. And it's like, that's a really beautiful community. 
I wonder how I could do that. There's a reason why we're drawn into stories like that. And in the same way, this elder's like, what is that? And how do I get in on that? Because I want unity, but I also want my way. And those are two very difficult things to try to do at the same time. Like, I want healthy friendship, but I also want to stay at home and watch movies and eat ice cream by myself on Saturday night. Uh, I want to be patient with my coworkers, but the way they work drives me nuts. I want to get along with my wife or my husband or my children or my friends, but sometimes I just don't even understand what they're thinking or why they're doing what they're doing. And then you add to that the ways that we've been hurt in the past, and all of that becomes this stew that we begin to try to work out relationship in. So to answer this elder's question and to answer all of our questions, how do I get in on that type of community, on that type of beauty, on that type of glory? This elder answers his own question. He said, oh yeah, they are those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. The beginning of unity the beginning of healthy community is realizing and recognizing your lack. It's realizing your inability in and of yourself to do the very thing that you long for. I long for healthy relationship. And yet when I bump up against somebody else, I realize how hard of a time I have doing it. But this image of a robe that's washed in white is this image of one's deeds all the way through, all the way back to Joseph and the robe that he was clothed in. This image of a robe is an image of one's deeds and position and power, their righteousness. And these robes, what this image is saying is ours are dirty that both from the things that have been done to us and the things that we have done by way of our selfishness and our foolishness and our pride and our hurt, those are, we come to relationship with God and with anybody else stained. And so of course we're gonna miss each other. Of course we're gonna hurt each other. Of course this is gonna be difficult. But what if we came at relationship like this? I'm not very good at this. You too? Like, can we start there? I'm, I'm going to hurt you sometimes, and I bet you're going to hurt me some too. C.S. Lewis says in The Four Loves that that's how friendship begins. Friendship begins, he says, when, uh, when you can sit across the table from someone and say, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. Because what we are being called into to see is that the foundation of every healthy relationship is worship of Jesus. Because as we come to him, we bring our filthy robes. We bring all the ways that we have hurt others, all the ways that we have been hurt ourselves, and he takes those and he wears them. And he takes his perfect robe of righteousness from his perfect relating to God and to others. And he hands that and he clothes us in it by faith. 
And in so doing, we are now rightly related to God, not because of what we have done, but because what he has done for us. And because we are rightly related to him, we now can be reconciled one to another imperfectly, little by little, moment by moment, but we now have a new power and a new ability. As we've been loved, so now we can love. And then Revelation 7, 15 through 17, the end of our verse goes on to say, therefore, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in the temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. And as we are sheltered by his presence, we can move out in safety and risk relationship and risk putting ourselves out there again and risk maybe being hurt or risk hurting someone else, but trusting that with this perfect relationship with the Father that we now have that we will never lose, we can now safely live risky lives of love towards other people. One of the best communities that I have ever witnessed is the community that is, uh, defines itself by two letters, AA. Alcoholics Anonymous, if you have never sat in on a meeting, it is some of the healthiest community I've ever seen because here's what they come in saying. We have a commonality in our inability to do life on our own and our need for a higher power. Guess what we do in the church? We come together in big group like this and in small groups throughout the week and in one-on-one relationships as the Lord allows, saying those same things. I, because I am bringing my filthy robes to Jesus and asking that he clothes me with his righteous robes, I am coming to the point where in every relationship, I'm going to fail. And I need Jesus. You too? And in that kind of humility, we can begin to approach healthy relationship. Now, of course, there's relational wisdom that's necessary in every relationship. I'm not saying that we have the same amount of humility and openness with every person at all times, but at least in the church, could we begin, and I already see so much of it happening among us, to risk healthy, vulnerable, honest relationship with one another. And out of this little Petri dish, could it then grow more and more in our community, in our city, and across our world? So that's what we're doing. That's what we're about to do at this table. We're about to be reminded that even if we're not fully experiencing everything being whole and unified, every relationship being as perfect as we would like it to be, we are coming to this table to remember that we have one relationship that is secure as secure can be in Jesus, and that's our relationship with our Father. And so we're coming to feast and be reminded that that is the true, the truest of relationships that we source all of our power out of. And this is also, again, I've said, if we had a table big enough to fit in this gym and we all sat around it, we are beginning to experience and taste a small version of this beautiful communal life that the new heavens and the new earth will be. So in order to do that, uh, I want to invite up some friends real quick to tell you a little bit of their experience of one particular practice that we can sort of, we can uh, practice together even before this service is done, and that is praying for one another. Uh, In the early church, 
Acts 2.42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And so these four very basic things that we do collectively together are what the basis and the beginnings of healthy relating one with another can be. And praying for one another is one of those things. So could you guys come up and share a little bit about that? Sodics, everybody. I was going to say, hey, y'all. You guys are Nate and Paige Sodic. Nice to, uh, nice to be up here with y'all. Um, so we're going to share a little bit about our experience with the prayer team here. And uh, I'm going to kick us off actually with uh, an experience from uh, my previous church, which is the first time I went up to um, someone, you know, around the room ready to, ready to pray with me. And, um, you know, in the, in the church I actually grew up in, I kind of always looked at that as... Um, oh, you know, there's something really big going on. There's, you know, they must really need something to, to, to go up there. Um, and then uh, this one day, at, right after graduating college, um, I was just stressed out, simple as that. And um, there were things spinning over in my mind faster than I could pick up any one of them. Definitely was not able to pay attention to the sermon or to the worship. Um, my mind was just running. And I thought, maybe this is a good time to just go pray about it, try and reset some things. And I walked up there um, and just told this person uh, in, in my community then, just waiting, um, you know, what was going on, and we, we sat and prayed and um, you know, walked back to my seat, and, um, you know, I absolutely believe in, in the huge power of prayer, but, you know, I didn't walk away from that, that prayer with any of those problems solved. They didn't vanish, right? Um, but what I did walk away with um, was a stronger connection to the Holy Spirit, a connection with someone in my church that had, had picked up that burden with me and held it for a second while I could take a few breaths. Um, and it set me on a better frame of mind just to think about that um, and those things that I was facing um, and really acknowledge that the Lord was with me in those things, right? And I, I have a hard time thinking I was going to get there uh, by myself that morning. Um, so that was a real blessing. And so then here, I want to share about a couple experiences where I've done that, um, that very same thing. Um, a few months ago, we were, I was really in the thick of dealing with some hard family dynamics, um, and I had no idea how to handle it. Again, just spinning on how to, how to walk well um, in a difficult relationship, and um, had talked and talked about it and just needed to go, to go pray about it, right? Um, so walked over and shared that with the team here, and um, I, I can't tell you the weight that was lifted off just from talking about it with someone fresh, with someone who was there to speak the truths of the word and of the Holy Spirit over me in that moment. And again, they didn't solve my, my family dynamic issues, right? They didn't say, here's what you need to go do. Um, I didn't walk away with an answer. But what I did walk away with um, was the love of someone in my community and, and the love of the Lord being poured out over me and just simple truths like the Lord loves you um, and he's near to the brokenhearted and things like that that just I needed to hear. Um, and um, similarly, um, just several weeks ago, um, I just came in here empty emotionally, right? Um, did not have the capacity, really it felt like, to even engage with the Lord. Um, and so it was about all I could do to, to walk over to someone who was ready, ready to pray with me. And um, kind of the picture I want to give you is it just felt like there was someone that I could lean on who was holding my hand as I came to the Lord, right? So their, their energy, their um, welcoming, you know, arms and, and kind words and, again, truths from, from Scripture. Um, 
that really just, again, the, the backpack fell off my back, right? Um, that was a moment just where the Lord met us in that space, uh, and it meant so much to me that someone was willing to be there and just carry that with me and to talk to the Lord together. And so that's um, just through all of these times when I've been able to take advantage of the, the wonderful chance it is to pray with someone here. Um, I, um, I leave feeling encouraged, again, not with, not with things solved, but um, by actually asking the right question, which is not what do I do next about this thing, it's where do I go next, and it's to the Lord. And just to have someone there to, again, share the truths that I know of here, but sometimes don't know here, uh, or forget, or have a hard time pinpointing. Um, it's really such a blessing to have people who are just there in tune with the Lord and, and kind of bring me back to the arms of the Holy Spirit in that moment, um, to, to be able to reset um, and just be encouraged. Uh, so I'll let Paige speak a little bit too. Um, in this particular season, I think it has been really challenging to discern um, the voice of God. And I don't know if you find yourself in that season at all, um, but I know that there is so much power in just walking back and being willing to hear the voice of God um, from someone else. And I know that sounds funny, but I think that oftentimes it can be really lonely um, to just sit there in prayer by yourself um, and oftentimes you feel like that there isn't um, somebody who is talking back to you. And so um, I think that the prayer team for me here has been um, that bridge and that connection to hearing the voice of God. Um, and it is a really beautiful thing to be able to discern for other people um, the voice of God. And I think that that has been such a gift here at Midtown. Um, it's just walking back, like being brave enough just to stand up and literally like carry my feet there um, and just sitting and saying, I don't even know what I even really need prayer for. Like, that's okay to also like not know what you need prayer for, but just to say, hey, can you pray with me? Um, I think some stuff is just going on in my heart. Um, would the Lord just call those things to mind um, and just to hear truth um, from the team? And so um, I think that, you know, there is a lot of um, beauty in uh, just being able to say, I don't know. <laughs> and so um, I would just encourage you, um, if you kind of find yourself in that place um, and you don't exactly know what to pray for, there are um, some people here who um, are ready to pray for you and are ready to help you discern that um, and just give you encouragement. So. Love it. Thank you, guys. Okay, so now uh, my time is up, and we need to come to the table. So uh, for all who this morning have come to the end of themselves, for all who this morning have come in these doors with all kinds of things that they wish were different about their life and their relationships, uh, for all who are walking in with their failings, uh, their shame, their guilt, their need, uh, this is a place for you. Because at that place of need is where Jesus meets you 
most pointedly. So for all who have faith in the Lord Jesus this morning, this is your table. Uh, The way we're going to do this is uh, we'll come up to the front. You can kneel and take a moment on the kneelers. If you need to be prayed for up here, you can cross your arms. Uh, There's also going to be space uh, in the back where there will be some folks from our prayer team that can pray over you if you need a minute to linger. Uh, And again, we'd love to just cultivate a space of prayer one for another uh, as another way that we're living out real life and real community with one another. So uh, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we live in this space where we are continuing to proclaim the Lord's death that he did die and he did die for me and I needed it and we wait in this tension for him to come again. So would you come hungry? Would you come needy? And Jesus will meet you and others will meet you in that place. Let's pray. So Father, we pray that you would meet us now in a powerful way through the table. Uh, Serve us as we raise a glass to you. We pray in your name, amen.